WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, August 16th. Here's a really important thing about the Trump indictment in Georgia that's not about his guilt or innocence. It's about who wins there in 2024. Georgia, don't forget, has become an ultimate swing state in presidential elections and for control of the United States Senate, right? Biden won there by two-tenths of one percent according to the certified results, or around just 12,000 votes out of nearly 5 million cast. Georgians have elected Republican Governor Brian Kemp twice now over Democrat Stacey Abrams, but both its U.S. senators are Democrats, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. Georgia is an ultimate swing state these days. So if this trial is taking place in 2024, over charges of crimes being committed locally in Georgia, well, there's a lot at stake that will be determined by voters, not jurors. And to complicate matters even more, maybe you heard this, Trump announced yesterday that he will stage some kind of event next Monday at his Bedminster Golf Club in New Jersey to try to convince people even now of presidential election fraud in Georgia in 2020. So let's talk about the implications of the 2020 election-related legal process for the 2024 election political process with Stephen Fowler, state and local politics reporter for Georgia Public Broadcasting and host of their podcast, Battleground Ballot Box. Stephen, thanks for coming on with us amid all this breaking news in your state. Hello. Of course. Always a pleasure. Let's start with this Georgia-focused news conference that Trump says he'll hold next Monday. I see Republican Governor Brian Kemp has already issued a public statement, uh, kind of a pre-buttle, I guess. What's Governor Kemp saying? Well, uh, first, you know, we don't actually know what Donald Trump is going to say on Monday or if he's actually going to have it. Uh, there is no massive report of election fraud in Georgia. Uh, Georgia had three different counts of its presidential election, including once where five million ballots were counted by hand. Um, most of these claims have been shot down by the courts, shot down by elections officials, shot down by common sense. And yet, nevertheless, uh, we will still have this going. And Brian Kemp responded to that by saying there, you know, the 2020 election was not stolen. You know, Kemp is one of the few Republicans that has stood up to the false claims of fraud quite forcefully, and actually been electorally rewarded for that. Kemp was expected to have another tight rematch against Democrat Stacey Abrams, but ended up you know, relatively blowing it out of the water, winning in a landslide in a state that is very purple, but uh, winning more 
commanding than some Republicans and Democrats expected. Yeah, and I see the Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, also reelected statewide after his conflict with Trump about 2020, also reaffirmed the integrity of the results just yesterday. That's what's making national news today. Trump announcing this Monday news conference, Kemp and Raffensperger responding. But going down from there, Stephen, I'm curious, are Republican elected officials in Georgia, other than those two, divided to any meaningful degree on this issue? I mean, yes and no. I, I think there are quite a few Republicans that would like to talk about anything other than 2020, which is somewhere in the happy medium between uh, relitigating it for a third straight year and forcefully moving past and kind of making the uncomfortable assertion that Trump's 2020 focus is harming the party. Um, you have a Republican majority legislature, state house, state senate. You have most counties in Georgia, like actual raw number of counties, are Republican dominated smaller rural counties. Um, and with that said, you know, there are plenty of people in Georgia that are very defensive and defending the president. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Northwest Georgia Congresswoman, is the first one that comes to mind. Um, mm -hmm. But there are also plenty of Republicans that would love to talk about literally anything else. Why do you think Kemp and Raffensperger then decided to respond so quickly to even the idea of Trump trying to make stolen election claims again? I heard your skepticism about whether this so-called Trump news conference will even take place. So why did they come out so quickly yesterday rather than wait to see what, if anything, he says and then address the specifics? Well, I, I think, you know, looking at Raffensperger, you know, Raffensperger is this mild mannered engineer, capital C conservative, one of the most conservative statewide election officials in Georgia, uh, elected officials in Georgia. And his brand and reputation is thoroughly intertwined with the integrity of Georgia's election system. Before 2020, he went toe to toe with Democrats who said voter suppression was actually keeping Georgia from being a blue state and the system needed to be changed and laws needed to be changed. And he defended things and said, you know, Georgia has voting laws that lead the country, turnout that leads the country, easy to vote, hard to cheat, you know. Um, and so now that he's got his own party turning the cannon on him, uh, he's pushed back on that. Just the facts aren't there. Um, and again, in the primary election in 2022, Trump unleashed an array of people that supported him and attacked the 2020 election to try to unseat a lot of Republican officials like Raffensperger and Kemp. And they got destroyed. You know, Raffensperger and Brian Kemp received a considerable amount of crossover support in the primary. You don't have to register uh, with a party in Georgia, but we can look uh. at voter history to see that Democrats and people that have voted in Democratic primaries before voted in the Republican primary and voted for Kemp and Raffensperger. And then even in the general election, you know, the two top vote getters in Georgia were Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger. And Kemp is term limited. He doesn't have to worry about running for governor again, but he is in the mix for potentially the 2026 Senate race. Um, and so, you know, he's burnishing his national credentials and things by saying, look, we need to stop talking about 2020. Otherwise, Republicans aren't going to win. And Raffensperger is potentially going to run for governor in 2026. And the way to run for governor 
a couple of years from now in a state that is very much you need people from across the spectrum to vote for you. You know, this is a little bit political, but also, I think, personal for both of them because they went through the ringer, you know, death threats, harassment, uh, all sorts of things from Trump and his supporters. And so it's political and personal. Yeah, I see that Kemp won his gubernatorial primary against the Trump-backed David Perdue last year by more than 50 points. You're telling me, though, that some of those voters were Democrats because you're allowed to cross over in primaries in Georgia. Uh, So what do you think that suggests for the 2024 presidential primary coming up on March 12th? Can Democrats vote in the Republican primary there, too? Because presumably there's not going to be a meaningful Democratic presidential primary. So if there's a contest that everybody who's engaged in politics might want to weigh in on because the law allows them to, it would be the Republican primary. Yeah. So I I think you have to look at it differently. The primary electorate, especially in a Republican primary, and the general electorate don't think about things the same way. And the national electorate and the national polling and what's good and uh, true and accurate in Georgia are two different conversations as well. You know, Donald Trump will not win all of Georgia's Republican primary delegates because Georgia's a state that goes in the Republican calendar that'll be proportional based on congressional district and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But uh you won't see hordes of Democrats voting to give all of the state's Republican delegates to somebody like Ron DeSantis or Mike Pence or, you know, anybody like that. The primary electorate in Georgia is still very much a Trump primary electorate. But the general election, you know, Donald Trump is starting behind the eight ball in court and court of public opinion in Georgia, Brian, because, you know, Georgia is one of the states where Trump lost in 2020. It's also one of the states where he unleashed a multi-pronged effort to harass and cajole officials into changing that. And if you are in Georgia, and if you are the voter that voted for Biden and maybe Republican down ballot in 2020, and maybe voted for Kemp, but Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock in 2022, you're not all of a sudden going to change your mind and say, hmm, I'm going to vote for Trump again and go back. I think the genie's out of the bottle there. And if Trump campaigns, if Trump faces trial in Georgia in 2024, and if he continues to focus on false claims about Georgia's election, you can put the Georgia's electoral votes a little bit bluer to start when having uh, prognosticating next year. I don't know if there's ever been such a confluence of a legal process and an election process in this country's history. Are are there local Georgia people named in this indictment? Remember, it's Trump plus 18 other defendants whose cases may play differently from Trump's or add to the Georgia politics of it all next year. I yes. Yes and no. You know, there are 19 people listed and getting charged. There are also 30 unindicted co-conspirators, and some of them are known only to the grand jury. Some of them parsing through the indictments are Georgia ties. Uh, Only three of the 16 fake electors in Georgia are indicted. That's the former Republican Party chairman, David Schaefer, Sean Still, who is a current state senator, and Kathy Latham, a former rural county Republican Party chairwoman, who is also being charged for involvement with a plan to illegally copy election data from 
voting machines and equipment in that county. The other 13 didn't get charged. Many of them took immunity deals. They're not getting charged. And a lot of them are party functionaries from across the state. Um, another unindicted co-conspirator that was also a fake elector is Georgia's lieutenant governor, you know, the number two in the state. And just yesterday, it was reported that um, a special prosecutor will be appointed to investigate to see if he's worthy of any charges. Because, you know, uh, Burt Jones is Georgia's lieutenant governor. He was one of the fake electors and heavily involved in the state Senate hearings where you had false claims from Rudy Giuliani and others, but he successfully was able to avoid being investigated by the Fulton County District Attorney because there's a conflict. The Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis, held a fundraiser for a guy named Charlie Bailey, who ended up being the Democratic nominee for Lieutenant Governor running against Burt Jones. So that's a conflict. Burt Jones escaped scrutiny in this first round, but was one of the unindicted co-conspirators and could be facing charges from a different prosecutor. But, uh, you know, it, it, this reverberates through the Georgia political circles because it focuses so much on these elected officials in the Senate that had these hearings. It focuses so much, too, on the split between the official state party apparatus and Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger and other top Republicans. Well, let's talk more about Fonnie Willis and the politics around her. She was elected DA. This is an elected district attorney position, elected as a Democrat in Atlanta and the rest of Fulton County. Uh, Trump is accusing her, of course, of having run on a campaign of I'll get Trump, thereby politicizing the indictment before there was even a grand jury in place. How did she run with respect to Trump, if at all? Well, Trump was a non-factor in the district attorney race. Um, you know, the, the the judicial district that includes Atlanta is is basically just Atlanta and Fulton County, which is Georgia's most populous. And Willis ran uh, unseated uh, longtime Democrat Paul Howard, who was there because there were allegations of corruption and mismanagement and kind of inefficiency in the prosecutor's office. So Bonnie Willis ran on a localized race dealing with how the district attorney's office in Atlanta ran. And then before she officially really took office, uh, all of the shenanigans around the 2020 election happened. And, you know, as she's stepping into this office is when Trump calls Raffensperger and says, I just want you to find 11,780 votes. And so uh, in many ways, her political fortunes so far in office have aligned themselves with Trump, but she is not among the prosecutors that you've seen across the country since 2016 that have run as a foil against Trump and his views on criminal justice and law and order. Any Kemp or Raffensperger moments attacking or supporting D.A. Willis's integrity or independence, even as they uphold the election results? Well, yes, and that's where it's different. Well, it's, it's different because, you know, the district attorney has purview over all crimes in this county, not just 2020 election related. And so Georgia actually passed and signed a law earlier this year creating this uh, prosecutorial oversight council that would basically be a vehicle to uh, hear and discipline district attorneys and solicitors general that 
they feel don't necessarily fully live up to the oath of their office. And some of this comes from uh, issues that other district attorneys in Georgia have had across the aisle of not doing their job. You know, think back to the Ahmaud Arbery case, the jogger who was shot and killed by two white men. Um, the district attorney there slow walked the case, uh, gave it to somebody else who kind of slow walked the case, and there were some conflicts. And there was no punishment for that. She was punished at the ballot box when voters voted her out because of inaction. But there's not really any recourse other than impeachment or other high bar ways to punish prosecutors that don't do their jobs well. And so this commission is put into place. And Fonnie Willis and other Democratic prosecutors in the state have been mentioned by Republicans for how they handle crime and murder and other things as part of the Republican talking point and policy point around criminal justice and not necessarily the I don't think you're doing your job well. Now, that said, you know, Kemp did fight subpoena to testify to the special purpose grand jury that met last year. That was an investigative jury. But no, you won't find them impugning the investigation at all uh, or Willis as a prosecutor. It's incredibly hard to remove somebody like a judge or a district attorney from office unless there is this blatant violation of law and violation of crime. It's not like what you're seeing to the south of us in Florida, where Governor Ron DeSantis has removed prosecutors using his broad latitude for uh, failing to do the job the way he thinks that they should do their job. So it's a good talking point. It's a good thing to... Uh, get into the ether if you are a supporter of former President Trump and you want to cast aspersions on this process. But functionally speaking, you're not going to see it used to immediately remove a prosecutor, let alone have it actually have the full process and time take out uh, to actually go through with hearings and appeals and so on and so forth. So it's it's something a bit uh, like a pipe dream and a good talking point that's not grounded in the reality. Here is Leon in Columbus, Georgia. You're on WNYC. Hi, Leon. Hey, good morning, Brian. Love your show. Thanks for taking my call. I've lived here in Columbus, Georgia since 1985. I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up in the Bronx. When I first moved here, it was a... You acquired a the accent, state, by the way, I will note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people tease me about that. Yeah, I have. So, But I still identify with the Bronx. When I first moved here in 85, it was a blue state, and then I witnessed it turn red, and now it's kind of purple. The Democrats control Fulton County and the five counties around Fulton County, and that's what contributed to the, the Senate victories and, and Biden winning the state. When you get outside of those counties in rural Georgia... It's Republican. Um, and, and I drive around the state because of my job. And I, I see the 2024 Trump signs. And when you talk to these people and you ask them, you know, what's going on, they just give you the talking points that uh, Fox News and Trump provide. They can't give you any concrete evidence as to the election actually being stolen. And you're not going to change that. The, that's his base. So the, the key to victory for Democrats in Georgia are the five counties that surround Fulton County. And that's just the way it's been um, since I've been here. And I, I've held public office here in Columbus, Georgia, hmm. which is a, a Democratic county. But outside of that, when you get out in the rural areas like Stewart County, Coffee, those little rural counties, it's Republican and you're not going to change their minds. 
they have bought in hook, line, and sinker to the narrative, um, and they're not going to change. Leon, thank you very much. Leon, former office holder, we don't know exactly how, but uh, with some political analysis that I don't think you disagree with. I think that was consistent with what you were saying before, Stephen, yes? Uh, yes, I, I mean, I, I think it goes to, you know, I grew up outside of Atlanta. I've lived in Georgia my entire life. I grew up just south of Atlanta. And the county that I grew up in, uh, by the time I graduated high school, went from majority uh, rural Republican farmland to upper middle class black Democratic suburbia. And I think along with that and along with working in radio and along with traveling the state and getting outside of the Atlanta bubble and the metro bubble, uh, a lot of people don't have a lot of experience with people and ideologies and cultures and backgrounds that are different than they are. If you're living in Columbus, you know, you probably spend more time in Alabama right next door than you would in Atlanta or other urban parts of the state. If you live in Atlanta, uh, you probably don't spend a whole lot of time in rural Georgia other than if you're driving to the mountains or somewhere else. And so I do think a lot of people don't understand how anybody could possibly think or act or feel differently than they do because they don't have those lived experiences and that shared sense of community. And I think that's why even though Georgia is kind of 50-50 urban, rural, 50-50 Democrat, Republican, you end up having these extremes within there because people just could not imagine a world in which Joe Biden is anything other than a criminal. And people mm. couldn't imagine a world in which Donald Trump is anything other than you know, a criminal. And so it's it's just it's one of those things where I think uh, people don't understand what other people think and feel. And I think the election is just one of those examples where depending on who you are and where you live and who you talk to, you might have a completely different uh, lens on the overall picture. All right. Stephen Fowler, political reporter for Georgia Public Broadcasting and host of their podcast, Battleground Ballot Box. Stephen, we appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.